Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, episode 63, recorded Sunday, July 18th, 2021. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Hello again, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Cincerpino. Well, I'm not exactly sure how the weather has been in the rest of the country, but up here in New England, it has been a very wet month of July so far. We have experienced frequent showers, some periodic intense thunderstorms, and also we had some very heavy rain as a result of Tropical Storm Elsa. And while my grass is loving the water, I think we are all ready to dry out a little bit, at least when we're on land. The Scuba Shack crew is back down at Dutch Springs in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania this weekend. They are conducting a dry suit certification class along with the Paddy Advanced Open Water Course. This is actually the third trip this year to Dutch for Scuba Shack, and we still have two more to go. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to make this trip. Hopefully, I'll be there in August. It has also been a fairly busy July at the shop so far. It's great to see people starting their diving adventures. Our classes are full, and everyone seems to be having fun. Great to get our lives back to normal after a very challenging year. On today's show, I'm going to go back in time again to discuss another early scuba equipment manufacturer, Farallon Industries. Not one of the original five, but certainly an interesting company. But first up is our news and information segment here on Scuba Shack Radio, Wet Notes. So, let's get started. This is Wet Notes here on Scuba Shack Radio for Sunday, July 18th, 2021. First up today is an update on the upcoming Boston Sea Rovers Clinic. Historically, the clinic was held in the early part of March, just before the start of the Northeast dive season. The show actually happened in March 2020, just before the country shut down. It was probably the last scuba diving show before covid It wasn't possible to conduct the clinic in March 2021 as we were still at a high point of COVID-19 spread and infections. So the decision was made to move the show to the first weekend of October in 2021. Fall in Massachusetts. That should be pretty neat. Tickets are on sale now for the Boston Sea Rovers two-day clinic in Danvers, Massachusetts. Right now, the early bird special is still available. You can attend the daytime Saturday and Sunday clinic along with the Saturday night film festival for $75. You can pick and choose your options, and that's a pretty good deal. Don't wait. 
check out the Boston Sea Rover site for all the details and get your tickets now. Now here's something new to help you with your fish identification. It's something called NameThatFish.com. NameThatFish.com was created by a guy named Jake Easterling, and he is the co-founder of a company called Scubotics. Scubotics' mission is to reduce the cost and time requirements to monitor coral reefs by using artificial intelligence, autonomous underwater vehicles, and citizen science. I guess in the course of this work, Jake developed a database of fish and came up with the idea of taking people's underwater video footage and identifying the fish in the video. If you go to the namethatfish.com website, you can view a short video on what the finished product looks like. Jake also has a short tutorial on how to make a submission. The site says it will accept .mp4, .mov, .jpeg, and .png files. The max file size is 100 megabytes and must be at least 720p or higher. Processing time is 1 to 5 days. The more fish, the more processing. The rarer the species, the longer it takes to verify. And if your quality isn't that good, they'll, be, they'll need more time to process. There's a little bit of disconnect on pricing. Jake says in, the, in his short tutorial that you can set any price you think is best, but there's also a button that says it costs $3.99. In any event, why don't you just go out and take a look at namethatfish.com. I recently had a really interesting email come across my desk a few days ago, and it was from Reef Divers. If you are not familiar with reef divers, they operate with the Clearly Cayman Resorts, Cobalt Coast on Grand Cayman, the Little Cayman Beach Resort, and the Brock Beach Resort. They are known for their valet diving. Well, reef divers is expanding their operation in the Caribbean to Turks and Caicos. Now, they are partnering with East Bay Resort on South Caicos. It looks like they plan to be up and running there by late August. East Bay Resort sits on a mile-long beach and boasts that every room has a beach view. To get to South Caicos, you'll need to fly into Providenciales, and then you can take either a short air hop over or board the ferry. It's not that long of a ride. The resort offers an all-inclusive option that seems pretty good. Reef Divers is an outstanding operator in the Caymans, so I'm sure that you can look forward to superior valet service from them on Turks and Caicos as well. Ah, so many places to go diving. What a dilemma. Just about every week I get an update from Michaelite, and it contains various tips and tricks for better underwater photography. Plus, they also provide some product updates. But also in this email is some other interesting information. Last week, they introduced me to an organization called Washed Ashore, and the article's title said, Using Discarded Plastic to Save the Ocean. Now, Washed Ashore is a 5013C3 nonprofit arts and environmental education organization aimed at bringing to light the world's plastic pollution problem. Well, how? 
Well, Wastashore is started by Angela Ponzi, who is a lifelong lover of the ocean, and after the death of her husband from a brain tumor, she turned to the ocean for healing. What she also found was that the ocean needed healing as well. So she turned her artistic talents into creating sculptures that are marine-related using the plastic that is washed up ashore. And they do some spectacular sculptures. I was also amazed by the fact that they have over 14,000 volunteers working with Washed Ashore. These are not small sculptures either. You can check them out at Washed Ashore and take a look at some of their work. You will be amazed. Well, I'm sure that we've all heard about the billionaires who are competing to go into space. Amazing stuff for someone who grew up at the start of the space race in the 1960s. But there is also another race going on, and that's the race to build the world's deepest pool. At the top of the list right now is Deep Dive Dubai, located in Nad al-Sheba, which is 15 minutes from downtown Dubai. It's an amazing 60 meters deep, that's 197 feet, and contains 14 million liters of water, or 3.7 million gallons. The pool is a constant 30 degrees Celsius or 86 degrees Fahrenheit. It is themed as an abandoned, sunken city. Now that's pretty cool. They have an on-site hyperbaric chamber, restaurant, gift shop, and dive shop. To put this in perspective, the other deep pools around the globe include Y40 in Italy at 42.15 meters, Deep Spot in Poland at 45.4 meters, and there's either one coming online or it's online in Cornwall, England, and that's called Blue Avis at 50 meters deep. I wonder if there's some kind of limit on just how deep you can build a pool. I'm sure we'll be amazed. And finally today, here's another message in a bottle story. This time it comes from Michigan. It seems that Jennifer Dower, the owner and operator of Nautical North Family Adventures, a scuba snorkel and glass bottom boat company, was cleaning the windows on her glass bottom boat in the Sheboygan River when she spotted the bottle. Inside the bottle was a message from 95 years ago. It read, Will the person who finds this bottle return this paper to George Morrow, Sheboygan, Michigan, and tell where it was found? The message was dated November 1926. Jennifer posted this on social media, and George Morrow's daughter, Michelle, who's now in her 70s, reached out. Michelle indicated that her father was probably 18 years old when he put the message out there. Sounds like the bottle didn't travel very far, however. Now I wonder just how many messages in bottles are out there. Well, that's it for this edition of Wet Notes here on Scuba Shack Radio. A couple of months ago, I told you about a guy who dropped off some vintage scuba equipment at the shop. One of the regulators was an old Poseidon cyclone, and that spurred me to do a segment on Poseidon here in the show. I also mentioned that the cyclone was complete with a set of Farallon gauges, and that there were a pair of Farallon fins that were unfortunately torn. 
So that got me thinking about doing uh, some additional research on Farallon and doing a segment here on the show. I got to tell you, researching Farallon Industries was a bit of a challenge. It was difficult for me to piece the information together, so some of this may be a little bit out of sequence. Let's start at the beginning, or what I think is the beginning. From my research, I believe it was somewhere around 1969 that a guy named Ralph Osterhot was working on a diver propulsion vehicle, or DPV, that he called the Mark I. It seems that this was a pretty successful product, and the U.S. Navy decided to purchase the DPV Mark I from Ralph. And it appears that he, that's when he started Farallon Industries. Farallon is the name of a small group of islands about 26 miles due west of San Francisco. I wasn't familiar with the Farallon Islands, but found out some interesting stuff about them. From what I read, they were originally called the Islands of the Dead by Native Americans, and then given the name Farallon, meaning cliffs, by the Spanish. I'm not exactly sure why Ralph named his company Farallon Industries. Farallon was based in Belmont, California, which is between San Francisco and Palo Alto, on the San Francisco Bay side. The address was listed as 1333 Old Country Road, but when I Google mapped that address, it came up with 1333 County Road. Now, I like to take a look at the street view to see, at these old locations to see what it looks like today. And today, 1333 County Road in Belmont, California, looks like a self-storage facility. One of the ways that I researched Farallon Industries was to look back at old trademark registrations and patents. When registering a trademark or patent, there is sometimes a description of the business. On one of those registrations, the business is described as, as a California corporation producing goods and services for skin and scuba divers' equipment, namely self-propelled vehicles for transporting scuba divers. Interestingly, I saw a Farallon DPV up for auction just yesterday. I think one of their most famous patents was also an early one. It looks like it was around 1971, and that was the shark dart. Famous because of, of its use as a prop in the 1975 blockbuster draws. The shark dart is described in the patent as a compressed gas injector weapon, including parts, therefore. You may also see these come up for auction from time to time, and a complete rig gets to be pretty expensive. Now, there were a whole lot of patents issued to Farallon Industries in the 1970s. It, looked like, it looks like there was another Ralph involved with Farallon, who was also an inventor, and that was Ralph Shamlian. In an old article that I read, he was identified as the pre president of Farallon Industries and was listed on a number of different patents. So let's take a look at some of these products. In 1974, it looks like they submitted a patent for a decompression indicating instrument, and it said it was an analog computer. Then, in 1975, they produced a pressure gauge and started to design fins. Over time, they introduced the Farafin, the Faralite, which was a rechargeable handheld light, and then in 1978, Farallon Industries was issued a patent for a pilot regulator, 
that said it incorporated a novel valve assembly in the second stage in the form of a unique main diaphragm valve and a pilot valve assembly. Now, I did try to trace what actually happened to Farallon. There is some indication that it was acquired by a company called Tecna. But if you look on the Oceanic website, they say that Bob Hollis took a big step forward with Oceanic when he acquired Farallon Industries around 1976, giving Oceanic a full line of scuba equipment with an innovative line of instrumentation products. I'm not exactly sure when Oceanic stopped branding their products with the Farallon logo. I did find a price list and catalog from 1978 that still showed a lot of the Farallon products, including their low-profile prismatic mask, their patented molded mouthpiece snorkel, the Farallite, Farafins, and all their instrumentation. They were also still producing four versions of their diver propulsion vehicle, the Mark II, the Mark III, Mark IV, and Mark V. Interestingly, in that catalog, I did see that both the Farallon and Oceanic logos were shown together. And, oh, by the way, you could still get the shark dart, and it came in two flavors, the Magnum Supreme and the Magnum Super. Well, I knew when I started this research on Farallon Industries that it would be a little more challenging than some of the other companies that I've researched. Farallon Industries wasn't around very long, but it looks like they did some really interesting stuff. I am always amazed as I look back in the history of scuba diving to see all the innovation that took place to make our sport what it is today. So that's a little more of a look back at the history of our scuba industry with Farallon. Well, that wraps up today's show. I hope you enjoyed our look back at another one of the companies that contributed to the scuba industry. I always find some interesting stuff when doing this research. Once again, I want to thank you for tuning in to Scuba Shack Radio, and I'll be back again in a couple of weeks as we wrap up July 2021. Until then, take care, everyone. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time.